Hello and welcome to The Killer Kind. Happy August, everyone. I honestly can't believe we're here, but we're here and I'm ready for fall, the cooler weather, the college football, all the fall things. If you know me, you know how excited I am. (laughs) Before we get started, I wanted to say thank you to those that have reached out to say they are new listeners to the show and have been enjoying it. That means the world to me, so thank you so much. I've also had a couple people reach out with their theories on the disappearance cases that I've covered recently, and as always, I love to hear what you guys think, so please keep messaging me and letting me know your thoughts on these cases. Now, today's case is sad and very puzzling at first. I don't think you'll know what to think at first. I remember hearing about this case when it first happened, and it was so confusing. I don't really remember hearing about the conclusion to the story in the news when it came out. I don't think anyways. I mean, surely I did, but I don't recall. Anyways, but once I looked into it, I was shocked as to find out what happened. So stay tuned to the end and definitely give me your thoughts when you finish the episode. I want to know if you were as shocked as I was. And one last thing, I want to shout out my mom on this episode. She helped me pull some information together on this one because honestly, guys, life has just been so crazy. I started a new job. I got a couple of things I'm doing on the side as well as this podcast. Plus, I have an 18-month-old and a husband to take care of. So how I do it, I'm still not sure, but I'm trying to figure it out. So this week, I needed some help, and my mom is really the main person I've been talking to about true crime for almost 10 years now, at least. So she brought this case to me and wanted to kind of look into it herself and asked if I needed help maybe putting an episode together. And I said, yes, please. That would be amazing. So thank you, mom. You're the best. (laughs) So without further ado, guys, let's just jump into the tragic story of the McStay family. Joseph and Summer McStay met in 2004 after being introduced by a mutual friend. The couple immediately hit it off. They had their first son, Gianni, one year later, and then their second son the year after that. After the birth of their second son, Joseph Jr., Joseph and Summer ended up getting married. By 2009, Joseph was 40 years old, Summer was 43, Gianni was 4, and Joseph Jr. was just 3 years old. Now, Joseph had been married once before, back in the 1990s, and he did have a son from that marriage as well, a son by the name of Jonah. Most reports say that Summer welcomed Jonah into their family right away and treated him like one of her own. However, Joseph's business partner, Chase Merritt, claimed that she resented Jonah because Joseph had to split his time with Jonah and the two boys she shared with Joseph. So, who knows what that relationship was really like? There was kind of some back and forth and mixed reports on that that we'll go over um, here in a minute as well. But moving on, so originally from the Orange County area of California, the McStay family moved to Fallbrook, California, which is the northern San Diego County area, moving in November 2009. 
By early 2010, the family was doing pretty well. Joseph owned and operated a very successful online business called Earth Inspired Products. This was a company that built custom decorative water fountains, and Summer was a licensed real estate agent, although she had taken some time off to take care of her boys. Summer loved being a real estate agent, however, she loved being a mom more. And to give you a backstory on Summer, she did go by a number of different names in her life. As I said, at the time of the family's disappearance, she was Summer McStay, but she had been known to call herself Summer Martelli, which was not her maiden name. She had gone by Lisa Aranda Martelli. She apparently wanted to be Italian, some have said, so that's where she got the name Martelli. Um, But it's my understanding that she never was legally named Martelli. Now, although the McStay family seemed to be close, Summer was not very close to her side of the family. I couldn't find anything specifically on her family at all to back that up, although there were mentions of her mom and sister throughout the investigation. So I'm assuming they did speak at least from time to time. They just weren't super close. Joseph's father, Patrick McStay, was mainly the one that made this claim that she wasn't super close to her family. He wrote a book about the family's disappearance, and he was the one who claimed that she wasn't super close. Now, with that said, I believe she longed to have a family and really strived to keep that close relationship, especially with her kids. Now, as I mentioned, Joseph had a pretty successful business selling fountains. And when I say fountains, I don't mean some small little fountains like outside of a local library, okay? They were large sculpture-like fountains that would cost somewhere around $200,000, if not more, depending on the client. So the family was doing pretty well. However, as I mentioned, the family moved out of Orange County in November 2009. I couldn't really find anything that explained why they needed to move, But either way, they moved to the Fallbrook area. It was a nice part of town, but Summer really wanted to be on the beach. Fallbrook was about 18 miles inland, to give you an idea. So she wasn't happy about the move. However, Joseph explained to her that they would just move to Fallbrook, buy this house that needed a little work. They would fix it up, sell it for a profit, and then move back to the beach. So this was sort of a temporary space for the mixed days. So, we know Summer wasn't thrilled with where they were living. The house was beautiful, but it was bought in foreclosure. And like most foreclosed houses, they'd been torn up or left abandoned for a while and just needed some TLC. This was not something that Summer necessarily wanted to deal with. And it was after purchasing the house that Joseph and Summer started having some marital problems The exact issues they were having, I don't really know, but I do know that Joseph called his mom shortly after the new year in 2010 to ask if she knew where they could go to marriage counseling. He told her that he just needed to get his family back on track. And just four days before the family went missing, Joseph found the perfect counselor, and the two had started going to these therapy sessions, and they were excited about the sessions. They were excited about their relationship. Thursday, February 4th, 2010 would be the last day that the McStay family was seen or heard from. It was a day just like any other. 
The family had a lot going on. It was a busy work week. They were getting ready to celebrate little Joseph Jr.'s birthday that Saturday. And Joseph had to get some work done himself. So he called his office to check on an order. He spoke with his dad, Patrick, on the phone at some point. And during an interview, Patrick told CNN that he did speak with Joseph on the morning of the 4th. However, Joseph told his father that he was in a hurry to get to a business meeting and really didn't have time to talk. Apparently, Joseph told his dad that he was meeting his business partner, Charles Chase Merritt, at Chick-fil-A, who, again, I briefly mentioned earlier, Chase Merritt. And real quick, I want to mention that Joseph was the one in charge of the day-to-day business for his company. He handled almost all of the business inquiries, the communications with clients, etc. Joseph's father, Patrick, said it was really Joseph's business, and Joseph just hired independent contractors to get the projects done. However, Chase and another business associate, Dan Cavanaugh, have both said that's not exactly true. Chase helped build the fountains, and Dan helped run the website and kind of the the behind-the-scenes work for the business. But anyways, back to February 4th. So Summer had spoke with her sister at some point during this day as well. Her sister had just had a baby, so they were making plans for Summer to come see the new baby the following week. At 2.11 p.m., Summer made a phone call from the home phone regarding a purchase of some herbal medicine that she had been looking at online. 25 minutes later, Summer's bank card was used in a store in Vista, California. The items purchased at the store were a beach bag, some children's pajamas, and a jacket. Now, there was some speculation that Summer McStay was not the one that made these purchases. Later on, family insisted that the signature on the receipt did not look like Summer or Joseph's handwriting. Police did try to check security footage at this store, but by the time they got to it, the security footage was gone. Not sure what to think about that really here, because it does appear that the McStays were heard from again after this store purchase. That being said, I needed to throw it in there just so you're aware of the concern some family members had about when they went missing. Susan, Joseph's mom, tried reaching the family for several days. She told a reporter at first she wasn't concerned because Joey and Summer were known to take little trips in California with the kids, so she wasn't alarmed. On February 9th, Patrick received an email from Dan Cavanaugh, again, the other business associate I mentioned earlier. Dan was concerned because he could tell Joseph hadn't returned any phone calls from clients, his email account was untouched. And although it was common for him to go on vacation for the weekend and not talk to people at times, it was unlike Joseph to not reach out to Dan or anyone for almost a full week. On February 10th, Chase Merritt calls the local police department to basically do a welfare check on Joseph because he wasn't returning his phone calls or emails either. So police go to the mixed day residence. They knock on the door and receive no response. They look around outside of the property and they find nothing that's suspicious, no sign of forced entry, nothing that alarms them at all. So they leave. This is the unfortunate part of welfare checks that that bother me, honestly. There's really nothing they can do. If the like, All they can do is go to the house and try to make contact with the person they're there to check on. If they don't, 
they have to leave. They can't do anything but report to the family that they weren't able to get in touch with them either, but everything looked normal from the outside. So that's what happens here. Chase finds out that nothing seems to be out of the ordinary, but they weren't able to make contact with the family. So Chase tells Joseph's brother, Michael, that the police didn't see the family either. So Michael drives over to the house. He confirms that nothing looks out of place. He did not see the family's car in the driveway. The two dogs were actually found in the backyard. Now, a bag of dog food from the shed had been ripped open, and their water bowl was under a faucet that had been turned on ever so slightly, so water was just dripping into the bowl. Michael apparently didn't seem worried about all of this, although he was still worried that nobody had heard from the family. Now, seeing the dogs with a bag of food ripped open and the faucet of water dripping into the bowl, to me, should have been a red flag because the oldest dog, Bear, was a German shepherd that Summer had for years. She treated that dog like her third child, her friends and family said. And then Digger was just a puppy. This is the second dog. I don't see the family just leaving these two dogs out to sort of fend for themselves for several days. Maybe they had done this before, and this is just kind of how they left them on vacation, so it wasn't alarming to the family, but to me, that just doesn't sit well. On Saturday, February 13th, Joseph's mom still had not heard from him, and because she lived 1,500 miles away in Houston, Texas, she called Michael and asked if he could go back to the house and check on the family and see if they're there one more time. I have read several articles that say Michael went to the house by himself, but in some interviews, Chase said he and Michael went together this time to check the house. So when they arrived, we're just going to say Chase and Michael went. So when they arrived at the house, Michael did notice the family car was still missing. Also, the family's dogs were still in the backyard. Chase supposedly knew that Joseph left a window open on the back side of the house. So he and Michael climbed through that window to go inside the home to check it out. Once inside the house, they found food on the counter, including eggs and some vegetables, um, which is a little weird because eggs and these vegetables should have been in the refrigerator, not out on the counter. So that was a little questionable. They found Summer's prescription sunglasses sitting on the kitchen counter as well. And Michael looked around And there did not appear to be any sign of forced entry or foul play, just like the police stated. However, it looks like the family just kind of left in a hurry. Finally, on February 15th, 2010, Michael called the San Diego County Sheriff's Department and reported his brother and his family missing. This is kind of where I have a problem. Your family is last seen on February 4th. I do understand the family was known for taking little mini vacations, but if I haven't heard from my family for 11 days, I'm calling the police. I'm calling the police on like day two or three max. We all know from listening to true crime podcasts and watching true crime TV shows that the first 48 hours are the most important. I'm sure Michael thought that his brother and family were on a trip and they just would show up soon, but still... And again, I have to keep in mind, I have true crime, murder, everybody's a suspect, everything's a problem, brain, but I don't know. I just don't like that it took 11 days. 
But then there's another problem that I have. So once the police were notified, it took them three days to get a search warrant. And they did not tape the house off as a crime scene. During this time, family and friends were coming and going, which could cause clues and evidence to disappear from the home. Joseph's mom even cleaned the kitchen because she couldn't stand the rotting food. Again, not blaming Susan. She was doing what moms do. I get it. I'm sure she was wanting the house clean for Joseph and Summer to come home. But it kind of makes me want to pull my hair out at the thought of her cleaning the kitchen. But again, I want to reiterate here. I've said this before in previous episodes. People don't have the same brain that I do. And I get it. And when you are in this situation, I'm sure you're not thinking the absolute worst. You know, like they're just going to come home. Like, yeah, maybe something's wrong, but they're going to come home and it's going to be fine. You know, you kind of have to think that way in the moment, I'm sure. Now, a family friend by the name of MacGyver Maccabee had been helping paint the family's new living room just days prior to their disappearance. MacGyver had been at the McStay home the day before as well, and he said that Summer was really stressed out about getting the paint color exactly right. Now, he would later say that he was confused as to why she was so stressed about the paint color just to kind of up and leave the next day and go on this vacation that people were saying the family was on instead of this was again before they were reported actually missing. He was actually supposed to go back over to the house on the 6th to help finish painting the room, but when he didn't hear from Summer, he didn't really push it, especially since she was so stressed and probably annoyed him maybe a little bit about the paint color the last time he was there. Now, on the 17th, he went back to the house. Now, this was that weird kind of in-between time when Joseph's brother had reported him missing, but when the police hadn't gotten the search warrant to search the house yet. Therefore, it hadn't been blocked off as a crime scene. When MacGyver went into the house on the 17th, he was shocked by the state of the place. He said that the house appeared to have been ransacked, clothes were pulled out of drawers, papers and stuff were just everywhere. He said that was absolutely not how it was on the 3rd when he was last there. On February 19th, the search warrant was finally executed. The police discovered the same thing that Michael had. No sign of forced entry, no sign of foul play. The perishable food items on the kitchen counter. There were two bowls of popcorn that had been made and were sitting in front of the living room TV untouched. During the investigation, police found that a neighbor's surveillance camera actually captured the family's car. On February 4th at 7.47 p.m., the bottom 18 inches of a vehicle that was believed to be the McStay family's 1996 Isuzu Trooper, leaving the cul-de-sac. At 8.28 p.m., a call was placed from Joseph's cell phone to his business partner, Chase Merritt. Merritt later told police that he ignored that call because he was watching a movie and knew the call would be about business, so he didn't answer. Shortly after the search warrant was executed, police issued a BOLO for the family. And I mentioned this before, but it stands for Be on the Lookout. And I believe it goes out to other police departments so that they know to be looking for either the license plate number or whatever information they give out to be looking for. In the meantime, investigators did a 
license plate search of the family car, and they discovered that on February 8th at around 11 p.m., the family's car had been towed from a strip mall parking lot in San Isidro, California, near the Mexican border. It is believed to have been parked there between 5.30 p.m. and 7 p.m. that evening. The location of the car from the 4th through the 8th is unknown. Investigators looked inside the car and they found a pretty normal scene. There were some new toys for the kids to play with. The car seats were in their original positions. Joseph's mom would later say that his asthma medication was found inside the car, which was pretty alarming to her because that was something he obviously needed at all times and never would have left behind. Investigators took DNA samples from the car, but still there was no sign of foul play. On February 23rd, detectives notified Interpol, which is the International Criminal Police Organization, to be on the lookout for the family in Mexico. Because during the search of the family home, police found on the family computer there were recent searches for what documents do children need for traveling to Mexico. Summer had also ordered a Spanish language education program a few months prior to the disappearance. So, on March 5, 2010, deputies released a video of a group of people similar to the McStay family entering Mexico. A male holding a little child's hand and a female holding a little child's hand could be seen on the surveillance footage. This video is from February 8th at around 7 p.m. This was the same day that the Isuzu Trooper was towed. The video was not good quality, so a positive identification could not be made. Susan, Joseph's mom, went to Mexico. She told a reporter that she had to search. She said, as a mom, you will absolutely do anything and everything you can to find them. She said first they went to Cabo because there were reported sightings. Then they took a car and headed north. Susan said they would stop in little towns that had gas stations and grocery stores, and they would post flyers there. Patrick told a reporter that he was contacted by someone that said that they saw Joseph and Summer and the kids at a Walmart in Mexico. This obviously gave Patrick hope, but the security footage confirmed it was not them. All of that said, it was determined that the family didn't have any of the necessary documentation to travel across the border, because all of which was found inside the family's home. So, although there was hope that the family was alive and well in Mexico, it would have been nearly impossible for them to travel to Mexico without specific documentation. Now, it was possible that the family changed their names and maybe came up with new documentation, which was a theory at one point. On February 25th, Sheriff Lieutenant Dennis Brugos told Valley News, the disappearance is, quote, out of character. We are still recovering phone records and financial records, both personal and business. We are also reviewing border crossing videos and following leads from the public and family. Brugos, who has been in law enforcement for 30 plus years, says, Generally, we find out the family went to Palm Springs for the weekend or tragically was involved with a murder-suicide. He said, I don't remember a case where a family of four just disappeared. 
Now, after three years of searching, the San Diego Sheriff's Department investigators concluded in April 2013 that the McStay family had gone to Mexico voluntarily. The McStay's family and friends insisted they would never go to Mexico with their children, but there was no other explanation. In the years following the disappearance, theories started coming out as to what happened to the family, and most of the theories actually involved Summer, mostly because she had changed her name so many times, and this supposedly made her less trustworthy. Which is true, I guess, but the public really focused on this one particular reason for why they didn't trust her. Now, a local radio host in Fallbrook named Rick Baker apparently wrote a tell-all book about the disappearance. And in the book, he speculated that Summer was responsible for their disappearance. This Rick guy somehow got a hold of these emails between Summer and Joseph from 2010 that were discussing their marital issues. And in these emails, she was threatening to leave him because she didn't want to look after Jonah. Now, that being said, apparently Summer did have an issue with Jonah's mother, Heather, Joseph's ex-wife. Apparently, she would expect the couple to babysit at any given time. She would stop by unannounced. At one point, she even went into the house and approached Joseph while he was in the shower. So, apparently her issue was with Heather, not poor Jonah. Understandably so. And I don't really want to get into it too much about the other theories surrounding Summer being involved. But I will briefly mention the other two theories just to kind of throw it out there. So, one was that Summer was slowly poisoning Joseph. This is one that's a little dramatic way less of a possibility, but there was some jokes thrown around with Joseph's friends. So, supposedly Joseph had been feeling sick in the months leading up to the family's disappearance. His symptoms were similar to vertigo, and Joseph himself thought that he might have a brain tumor based on his symptoms, but supposedly some of his friends started putting the idea in his head that Summer was poisoning him. It's unclear if those friends were actually serious or if Joseph ever believed the idea. I think he made a couple jokes about maybe I should eat out more and stop eating her food. Now, the other theory I saw while researching this case was that Summer's ex-boyfriend had something to do with it. Because when her and Joseph got together, she was in the middle of a breakup with a guy by the name of Vic Johansson. He was a former Marine who had a history of violent behavior. And I believe this theory was looked into by investigators, but he was quickly cleared because there was no evidence connecting him to the family's disappearance whatsoever. Now, the McStay's family and friends never stopped searching. Gina Watson was a sales rep that worked for Joseph. She said he was the nicest person, he was so generous, and he was so good with his customers. Gina and Joseph's father, Patrick, teamed up and kept searching for the family. Gina would go on to tell a reporter during an interview that she never actually trusted Chase Merritt. She focused her attention on him specifically. She told the reporter that Joseph had loaned Chase money. One article says that Chase owed Joseph upwards of $30,000. It became a problem between the two, and Gina said that she had warned Joseph about Chase. 
Patrick told reporters that Joseph had told him that he was unhappy with Chase's work and he was thinking about firing him. Chase did an interview of his own with CNN and he told the reporter that he and Joseph were best friends. They would play paintball together. He said Joseph was the nicest guy to him. Chase said he didn't care for Summer. He thought she was a little egotistical. He thought his friend could do better, which is a little shocking. But he even helped Joseph and Summer move into their new home in 2009. He said the business meeting that he had had with Joseph on the February 4th at Chick-fil-A was about, quote, all kinds of money stuff. Now, he would later tell an interviewer that he was definitely the last person to see Joseph McStay. Like the interviewer, this comment I think is odd. Obviously, how do you know that you're definitely the last person to see him unless you were the one that did something to him? The more Chase talked, the more red flags pop up. Chase's story seems to start changing and Patrick told police that Chase told him that Chase and Joseph discussed a copper fountain on February 4th at 8.28 p.m. Now, if you remember, that is the phone call that Chase told police he ignored because he was watching a movie. So Chase is now at the center of the investigation, pretty quickly, obviously. Chase Merritt told detectives that during their last lunch meeting, Joseph had given him physical copies of checks to pay for some of the projects they were working on. However... When investigators looked into these checks, they found these checks were not written on February 4th. They were actually written several days after the family had disappeared and backdated to make it appear as though they'd been issued before the family vanished. This is when Chase Merritt's story started falling apart. Investigators would discover evidence that showed someone had taken control of Joseph's checking account writing a total of nine checks to himself, Chase Merritt, or those that he owed money to, totaling nearly $15,000. Investigators also discovered an email from Joseph dated February 1st, stating that Merritt owed him nearly $43,000. On November 11th, 2013, an off-road motorcyclist was riding through the San Bernardino County's Mojave Desert, which is about 100 miles north of the McStay family home. And this motorcyclist came across human skeletal remains just off the interstate. Police discovered two shallow graves. The two shallow graves contained multiple human remains in each, and a three-pound sledgehammer is also found. Dental records did confirm that the remains are those of Joseph and Summer McStay, and the other remains are believed to be those of the two boys. On November 15, 2013, the cause of death for all four family members was deemed to be blunt force trauma. The autopsy shows that Joseph had a broken leg and rib. Showed that he was tied with an extension cord and also later found out that he was wrapped in a futon cover taken from the family home. It appears the family was attacked inside the house and possibly bludgeoned to death there. Summer was found with no top on and her bra was spattered with paint. 
the same paint that investigators found in buckets in the living room, as I mentioned earlier. The sledgehammer also contained smears of the same paint. It was determined that Summer and four-year-old Gianni were found in one grave, while Joseph and Joseph Jr. were found in the other. San Bernardino Sheriff's Department held a press conference to announce the findings of the family. Joseph's brother Michael attended the news conference and he told reporters, it gives us courage to know that they're together and they're in a much better place. November 5th, 2014, almost one year after the bodies were found, police arrest 57-year-old Charles Chase Merritt. Merritt's DNA was found on the steering wheel and gear shift of the McStay vehicle that was abandoned near the Mexican border. During earlier questioning, Chase denied ever being at the McStay home or in the McStay vehicle. Cell phone records and forged checks also linked him to the crime. Sheriff's investigators believe Merritt killed the McStays for financial gain. Detectives testified during the preliminary hearing in June 2015 that Merritt was a gambling man who had written multiple checks totaling more than $21,000 on Joseph McStay's QuickBooks account in the weeks after the family was last seen. Detectives also said that Merritt referred to the family in past tense, saying Joseph McStay was my best friend, quote. Merritt pled not guilty and said there was no direct evidence linking him to the crime scene. I'm guessing he wasn't made aware of the DNA found in the car that he said that he was never in. Luckily, that made him look like more of a liar and more of an idiot. Finally, in January 2019, Chase Merritt's trial began. Prosecutors say that greed is the motive for the murders. They also said that Joseph was planning to cut Merritt out of the business. Chase's attorney said there was no sign of an attack in the family home. There was no physical evidence connecting Merritt to the killings. And they tried to argue that Chase Merritt would have never killed his best friend for money. After a four-month trial and nine years after the McStay killings, Chase Merritt was found guilty of four counts of first-degree murder. In January 2021, Chase Merritt, 62, was sentenced to life in prison for murdering Joseph McStay. He was given the death penalty for killing Summer, Gianni, and Joseph Jr., Charles Chase Merritt is currently sitting on death row at the infamous San Quentin State Prison. I feel like I've mentioned San Quentin before, and I'm sure I will again. It's definitely one of the places where the worst of the worst go. Um, This is where Charles Manson served his time, and Scott Peterson, just to name a couple, and And to add a little light to the story, this is where Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash both performed in the late 1960s. Even though the trial is over and the killer is behind bars, the horrible nightmare continues for the McStay family members and their friends. Joseph's dad, Patrick, says Merritt is a scumbag. He is a creep. He doesn't deserve the walk of the earth or take a breath, which I think we can all agree with him on that. 
He went on to say that Merrick killed somebody that trusted him and gave him a chance when a lot of other people knew he was a crook. And then he kills my grandsons brutally. How do you do that? He said, I hope you burn in hell. Joseph's mom, Susan, told the court this despicable, evil monster. How could you beat two precious little babies? How scared were they, Chase, crying for mommy and daddy? You had a choice. Chase, you are a low-life coward and a baby killer, just a monster. Chase showed no emotion at Susan, and she said that she felt like she'd been hit by a boulder when she was told the bodies were found. She said it was just a nightmare. Joseph's son, Jonah McStay, says, It is the deepest desire in my own life not to spread pain and suffering. He said healing will be a lifelong thing for his family, but he knows they can do it together. How horrible. Such a heartbreaking case. I have never teared up while recording an episode before, to be honest. I've teared up while researching, but having to kind of quote what Joseph's mother said. Oof, I had to take a couple breaks there. Um, the Oxygen Network aired the story of the McStay family murders in their show called Killer Motive, if you want to check that out. But guys, as always, I'd love to know your thoughts on this one. The anger that I have for Chase Merritt, I can't even tell you. All I have to say is that I know in a lot of prisons, people who harm or kill children get tormented in prison. Ironic as it is. So I can only hope he's received his karma by now. As unchristian-like as that may be of me, I do hope he's felt some sort of pain since he brought so much pain upon that poor family. Anyways, that'll do it for me this week. As always, please give the show a five-star rating and leave a nice review wherever you can. That would mean the world to me. With that said, I'll be back here next week with a brand new case. Until then, stay safe. Bye, guys.